Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through 30 is uh, where we've been reading. We've walked through the book of Philippians um, chapter 1. Um, next week we'll be in chapter 2. Um, and so just grab your Bible, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through 30. And let me just pray over you guys this morning. Lord, I pray right now that you speak to every single person through this message. Lord, I pray that you just begin to pierce hearts even right now. Lord, prepare our, part, our hearts. Lord, I, I pray right now that we don't tune this message out and we don't ignore it. And I pray against distractions. Lord, I, I, just, I pray against distractions of our phones, distractions of what we came in here carrying, what we came in here worrying about. Lord, I break it off in Jesus' name. Lord, and this is, this is a right now message for this church. Lord, I believe it. So Lord, speak clearly through me. Help us to navigate what you're saying in the room today, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Two weeks ago, I told you that this letter to the church in Philippi, the overall theme of it was joy, and that is the accurate statement. But there's also another theme, and we see this theme really played out in the first chapter here. It's the theme of the gospel. And we're gonna look at a few places in chapter one where we see the word the gospel or the idea of the gospel. But before we look at that, I think some of us need to understand what is the gospel. I think some of us, we don't even know what the gospel is. Well, the gospel literally means good news. And the gospel occurs 93 times in the Bible, exclusively in the New Testament. But while the word gospel is seen exclusively in the New Testament, the gospel, broadly speaking, I want you to hear me, spans from creation to revelation. You see the gospel played out on every single page of scripture because the gospel is about Jesus. Jesus is the good news and we see it played out from creation to revelation, but the gospel is the good news about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and all that he continues to do for us. The gospel is the greatest news you could ever hear. The gospel is the greatest news you could ever share with someone. The gospel is the reason that Paul is in chains. The gospel is the reason that Paul is being persecuted and tortured. The gospel. And in chapter 1, verse 5, we see Paul speaking of the gospel. And he commends the Philippians for participating with him in the gospel. And in verse 7 and verse 16, in all these verses we've looked at so far, in verse 7 and 16, we see Paul affirm them for sharing with him in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Then in verse 12 and in verse 25, and this was actually even in one of our talk it overs, I hope you're walking through those with your family every week and having these conversations. You can find those, those notes as you came in this morning or, or you can find them on destinychurch.me backslash notes. And you can see those notes and you can talk about them right there with your family. But we talked about these in week in the uh, just a couple of weeks back, and we see in verse 12 and in verse 25 the word advance and the word progress, and both of these words are referring to the advancement or the progress of the gospel. And I think this idea of the gospel is not something we can just read about or hear about. This is something that we need to be active participants in. We need to participate in and with the gospel. 
And no matter where you are or no matter where you find yourself in this world, listen to me, you may be the only place in, person in your place of work who is a believer, but you need to be an active participant in that place with the gospel. You may be the only believer in your family. You may be just one of a couple of true believers in your school. But no matter where you are, no matter what situation you find yourself, you need to realize that as a believer, I want you to hear me today, God has put you exactly where he's put you so you can be an active participant in spreading the gospel. In your work, in your home, in your neighborhood, in this church, in your school, God did not put you there by accident. You're not here just to make a living. You're not here just to, you know, hammer a nail. You're not here just to teach a class. You're not here just to sit in a schoolroom and study. God put you there for the advancement of the gospel. God did not give you children just so you could raise them up to have a job. God gave you children so you could pour the gospel message of Jesus Christ into them. We see that even in Deuteronomy 6. Get these words in your family and in your children and in your home, right? So we see this, we see it in 5 and 7 and 12 and 16. And we also see it in verse 14. We are commended when we boldly preach the gospel. And today's Reading that we're going to do, verse 27 through 30, we again see another mention of the gospel. Let's read it. Only, verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let's do it again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. What's that word again? Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you and you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let's continue on, verse 28. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you and that too from God. Verse 29, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. We like that part, right? How many of you like to suffer for Jesus, right? And nobody? Why not? We don't like to suffer for Jesus. Verse 30, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. There's a lot in these verses. But I want to specifically, we're going to at least try to, I have four thoughts from these verses I want to give you, but I'm, we'll see if we can get through all four, but we're going to at least get through two of them. I want to emphasize, before we dig in, I want to emphasize the very first word that's in verse 27. This word is the foundation for this message. It's the, it's the pivot point of this message. It's the word only. Everybody say only. This word is not here by chance. It's not here by accident. There is specific meaning for this, the way it's laid out. It's the word only, Okay. There, it's the beginning of this sentence in the Greek text is there for emphasis. The contemporary standard Bible says it this way, just one thing. The New Living Translation says, above all. The Good News Translation says, the most important thing is. As Paul was in chains, as we know, Paul is in chains writing this letter to the church in Philippi. As he's in chains writing this letter to them, he wants them to know the most important thing is the gospel. And you, us, me, us as believers living in a manner that is worthy 
of the gospel. Paul says only, above all, the most important thing is you live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Only, above all, just one thing. Live in such a way that flows with what the gospel demands of us. Conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. I want to tell you, I feel great weight with these verses. I feel great importance on these verses. I, if I've ever felt like there was a verse that the Lord was speaking, and in first service I said to a church, and I want to correct that statement because I believe it's to Destiny Church, but I believe it's for a generation. I really believe this is a message for the church, not just Destiny Church. But I've said this many times, I'm responsible as your shepherd, as your pastor, Okay? And I believe this is a very important message. And so I want your hearts to be ready to receive this word, whether you're young or whether you're not so young, right? I want you to receive this message. I feel great weight on it. It's Destiny Church in our church, in our lives, in our family, in our school, in our places of work. I hear the Lord saying only, first and foremost, the most important thing is conduct yourselves. We're going to look at that word, that phrase in just a moment. But conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So with all that kind of laid down as our foundation, I have a question for you. Are you living in a manner that is worthy of all that Jesus has done for you? Are you living in a Some of you right now, you don't even believe it. But are you living in a manner that is worthy of all that Jesus has done for you? And before we go on, I want, I want us to like really contemplate this. I want us to think about this this week. I want you around the table this week, in your homes, with your friendships, I want you to ask the question, are we as a family, living in a manner that is worthy of the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Are we living in a manner that is worthy of the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Now, before we can go on any further in this message, I think we need to understand what the word worthy means. What's it mean, Pastor Shed, to live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, the English word worthy, we get that from the word worth. Worth means something of value or something that costs us something. Or in this context, how much something really matters. So speaking to us from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, so as citizens of heaven, and that's what we are, and that's what verse 127 is telling us. That's what Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 tells us. We are citizens of heaven, believers, disciples, Christians, so as citizens of heaven, we should live or we should walk in such a way that this demonstrates the extreme value of, or let me say it this way, we should live or we should walk in such a way that demonstrates the extreme worth of the gospel in our lives. And I don't know if sometimes maybe we don't understand the worth of who Jesus is, but I think we understand worth. Because a lot of us, we have some things we consider worth something in our lives. Our home is worth something. Our career is worth something. Our friendships are, well, there's worth. We give worth to things. See, the problem is, is many of us are giving worth to other things and we're elevating them above Jesus. 
We're elevating sports. We're elevating our extracurricular activities or our hobbies. We're elevating those above Jesus. And I've told you guys this. I'm not against having a home. I, I live in one. I'm not against having stuff. I'm not against extracurricular activities. But the problem is, is what the enemy's done. He's just slowly and steadily come in and he's caused us to just increase the worth of our stuff and we've decreased the worth of God. And John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he can increase. That's what worth is this morning. I ask you today, are you putting more worth on your studies than you are on Jesus? Are you putting more worth in your bank account than you are in Jesus? Are you putting more worth in your friendships than you are in Jesus? How worthy are you of the gospel? Are you living in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And the implication is here, as Paul is stating this, then what it's telling me is there must have been some people in the church of Philippi who were not living worthy of the gospel. They were being tempted to compromise their standards. They were being tempted to compromise their beliefs or compromise their faith. Or worse yet, they weren't just being compromised or they weren't just being tempted. They were actually doing it. Some of them had actually stumbled and fallen away. In the same way in the church today, many of us are being tempted to walk in a manner that is unworthy of the gospel. We are being tempted to live a double standard life. Do you hear me? And some of us, we aren't just being tempted to live a double standard. We are living a double standard. We live one way on Sunday and another way on Tuesday. But God is asking us to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel consistently every single day. And the challenge to the church in Philippi and the challenge to the church today is to only. Everybody say only. Say it again, only. Say it again, only. Only conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the shed blood of Jesus. Only, above all, he's your priority. He's your prize. He's your treasure. Only, above all, place Jesus and his word and your lifestyle with him, a place that above everything else. That's what Paul is saying. Live every single day to exemplify and glorify Jesus and make him known. Only. That's what he's saying. So the big question today is how do we live this out? How do we practically live this out? How do we walk worthy of the gospel? I think these verses right here, these four verses give us four thoughts. Number one, we walk worthy of the gospel when we live as citizens of heaven. We walk worthy of the gospel when we live as citizens of heaven. Look at chapter one, verse 27 from the New Living Translation. Above all, or the other way we could say this, is only you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Jesus Christ. Now, I want to try to teach you for just a moment. I've always been a topical preacher. We've always done series and themes at Destiny Church. I'm going to tell you, I am loving walking through the book of Philippians. I'm loving how it's stretching me as a communicator. I'm loving how I'm not just glossing over scripture and just reading something and thinking I know what it means. Because we need to understand that there's, as translations happen, there's more depth to words sometimes than we understand from words. 
And so remember, I want you to know that Paul is speaking to the church of Philippi, but he's also speaking to us. And he's, what he's wanting to do is remind us that we are citizens of heaven. So he goes on to say this word, conduct yourselves. Obviously, how we conduct ourselves as believers is of extreme importance to God, right? None of us as believers are to be casual in our faith. None of us as believers are to be lukewarm. The Bible actually tells us if we are lukewarm, he'll spit us out of his mouth, right? It doesn't tell us to be complacent. We don't want to be compromising. None of us as believers are to have a case of raw, raw, whatever will be mentality. But this phrase, conduct yourselves, takes on greater meaning than our English language sometimes can interpret. One of the biggest things you have to understand is this word conduct yourselves is not one word, not two words, it's actually one word. And when I give you the word and the meaning of it, if you just see it that way, it's like, this doesn't make any sense. But it's from the Greek word, it's the Greek root word polis. And it's where we get our word politics from. So how does this word politics have anything to do with how I conduct myself? I want to show you this. This verb, this word polis is a verb, and it carries the meaning of being a good citizen. I want you to hear this, and then we're going to connect the dots. It carries the meaning of being a good citizen who follows the rules, regulations, and laws of the government in which you reside. So this verb carries very significant meaning for the church in Philippi, and I'm going to explain how. The city of Philippi was a Roman colony. When Rome was in power, what Rome would do is they would conquer communities around the city of Rome and they would make those Roman colonies. And what they were doing that for is as they made those Roman colonies, it was protecting the city of Rome. It was protecting it. It was, they were the, uh, what you would call like the outer uh, barrier of, uh, of the city. They were the defense system. They were the, you know, the missiles that would shoot off first. They were the ones there to protect these, the city of Rome from invasion. And what Rome would do is these soldiers that would fight in their battles, and not every citizen or not every person that fought in these battles was a Roman citizen, and what they would do with these veteran soldiers is they would tell these veteran soldiers, hey, if you will colonize this area, we'll make you a citizen of Rome. And so these veteran soldiers, as they would begin to settle these cities and they would become Roman colonies, and what they would tell them is, hey, if you settle this city, we'll not only give you citizenship, but you'll have all the rights, privileges, and blessings of if you lived in the city of Rome itself. And so these people in Philippi and all these Roman communities, they took great pride in their citizenship as Romans. They spoke the language. They wore the clothes. Their government officials carried the titles. It didn't matter how far they were away from Rome. Philippi was about 800 miles. It didn't matter how far away they were from Rome. They, they were Roman citizens. Great privileges, great blessing, great value came from being a citizen of Rome. So Paul has all of this in mind when he's using this word polis, conduct yourselves. He has this distinctly in mind because I want you to hear me. He's speaking their language using a word that they understand. This word, this statement right here from Paul would have challenged the church in Philippi because it would have reminded them of their dual citizenship. Now I want you to hear me. This statement of conduct yourselves would not have meant much to the church in Ephesus because they weren't a Roman colony. 
It wouldn't have meant as much to the church of Galatia or the church in Colossae because they weren't Roman colonies. And we don't understand this because we just read these words and go right past them. But I think there's great value in digging into the text and finding what God is trying to say to us. So what Paul is doing here through the word is he's reminding these people in Philippi, hey, you have dual citizenship. You are extremely blessed to be in the Roman empire. And yes, you want to be a good citizen, in the Roman Empire, but Paul is reminding them that their heavenly citizenship is greater than Rome, and it comes with greater privilege, greater uh, blessing, but it comes with a higher responsibility. Remember, he must increase, I must decrease. Only, Paul is saying, conduct yourselves as a good citizen, not of Rome, but as a good citizen of heaven. Are we getting this? So he's telling them, hey, just as you want to conduct yourself and find favor in Rome much more so conduct yourself so you can find favor in heaven. That's what he's speaking to them. Likewise, Paul is saying to us today, hey, you might be a citizen of the United States. You might be a citizen of Mexico. You might be a citizen of Canada. You might be a citizen of another foreign government that is not the United States of America. But I want to tell you, as a citizen of one of those nations, you have rights, privileges, and responsibilities of being a citizen of that nation. But I want you to remember today, just as you carry your passport or your identity from the nation or from the United States of America, you also have an identity and a citizenship in heaven, and you have of rights and privileges and responsibilities as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And God is challenging us, Destiny Church, to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Anybody getting this today? Conduct yourselves. There's a different language. Like I told you, like the citizens of, of Philippi, they would have dressed Roman. They were speaking Roman. Their government officials' titles were Roman titles. In the same way as citizens of heaven, we have, in, so to speak, different clothes that we wear. We have a different language that we speak. We have a different way that we think. We have a different way to talk. We, as citizens of heaven, we have different character traits that we want to get off of us. Little sins, little foxes, hindrances, gossip, lust, pornography, anger, pride. We have different things that we have allowed as citizens of this earth. We've allowed things to not only get on us, but we've allowed traits of this world to get in us. But as citizens of heaven, we don't only want to get like rid of those things and we get them off of us. We want to put the character traits of God in us. Patience, love, joy, peace, faithfulness. We, want, we have different character traits to get off of us and we have different character traits to get on us as citizens of heaven. To live worthy of the gospel, to be a citizen of heaven, there are traits we have to get rid of and traits we have to put on. Here's my question for you today. Can people tell that you are a citizen of heaven? Can people tell that you're different? Like, really think about that. I, I, can people tell from this section to this section, can people tell that you, you think different, you live different, you act different, you talk different? Can people tell that you're a citizen of a different kingdom or do you look just like the world? Can people tell when they look at you, they know, hey, that's a Christian. Hey, that's a citizen of heaven. 
You see, as citizens of heaven, we have, different, we have rights and privileges and favor and blessing and all this God's is mine, but I also have greater responsibilities. I can't cause somebody else to stumble because I'm not living like a citizen of the kingdom that I claim to be a part of. And so we want to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Well, to do that, we have to understand that we are citizens of heaven. And as citizens of heaven, I have character traits I need to get out of me and character traits I need to get in me. Can people tell that you're different? When they look at you, Landon, when they look at you, Chris, when they look at you, Dolph, when they look at you, Michelle, when they look at us, can they tell, Anthony, can they tell that we're a citizen of heaven? Or do I look just like everybody else? And my question for you is if they can't tell, then why not? So to live worthy of the manner that God has called us to, to live worthy of the gospel, number one, we live as citizens of heaven. Number two, the second thing I want to show you today, and we'll see how far we get, we walk worthy of the gospel by standing firm. Number one, we live worthy of the gospel by living as citizens of heaven. Number two, we live worthy of the gospel by standing firm. Philippians chapter one, verse 27 again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm. Paul says, number one, the way we live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel is we live as citizens of heaven. Number two, he says we have to stand firm. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter six when he's telling us to put on the full armor of God. In verse 13 and verse 14, he says, when you've done all to stand, stand firm. He tells us stand firm in Philippians chapter one, verse 27. He tells us stand firm in Ephesians chapter six, verse 14. But what does it mean to Stand firm. To stand firm means to be stationary. It means to be fixed. It means I can't be pushed around. It means I can't be moved around. The ideal metaphorically here is that you are anchored in place and there is no reverse in you. It's like a stubborn mule that cannot be moved. Spouse is no elbowing right now, right? But it's this mentality is I can't be moved. There is no reverse in me. I'm not going backwards. I'm only going forward. Standing firm, really what it is, it's a military term. And it pictures a soldier in battle firmly holding his place on the front lines. And I'm gonna tell you guys something the Lord has been speaking to my heart. I didn't say this part in first service, but I believe the Lord is telling Destiny Church he's called us to the front lines of the battle. And to do that, you have to stand firm and hold your position. I believe that God has called Destiny Church to be the tip of the spear. We're in the front. We're not in the back. We're not in the middle. We're at the front. And this picture of standing firm, Tabitha, is a soldier that cannot be moved no matter what the onslaught of the enemy is. It's like they literally stand their ground. It reminds me of the story of David's mighty man, Shammah. When Shammah was in the middle of, the enemy had been stealing his peas. Some of you, the enemy's stealing your children and you're not getting angry. 
Some of you, the enemy's stealing your character and your morals and your values. He stole your joy. He stole your peace. He stole everything from you and you just let it happen. But this man, Shama, stands in the middle of his pee patch and he says, I will not be moved. And he fights off the enemy. And what I believe the Lord is saying to Destiny Church is he needs some men and some women, some teenagers, some moms and dads who will stand firm and say, you can throw everything you want at me, but I will not bend and I will not break. How can we walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel? We stand firm. I will not be moved. Begin this today. Lord is calling us, Destiny Church, to be immovable, to stand firm in our family with our values. No, we don't do that. No, we don't go there. No, we don't watch that. No, we don't dress that way. And I'm not a preacher that talks about how we dress and all the things we go and watch, but I think some things we need to stop and say, no, we don't do that as a family. I don't care if it's going to cause people to not like you or not like me or to think I'm unpopular. It's okay with me because I'd rather be popular in heaven than popular on earth. I won't bend. I won't break. I'm anchored. I'm not moving. But the problem is, more so than ever before, many of us in the church, we aren't standing firm. Even though the Bible tells us in Romans, don't conform to the patterns of this world, the exact opposite has happened, and we have conformed more than ever before. In the church today, you can't tell the difference from the church in the world. When the church goes in the world, you can't tell the difference. You tell people you're a believer, and they can't tell by your fruit. And we think, well, God's not going to judge me. Jesus was literally walking down the street and a tree was not producing fruit and he struck it dead. God wants your life to bear fruit. We bear fruit when we walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We walk worthy of the gospel when we live and walk and breathe as citizens of heaven and we live and we breathe and we stand firm. But the problem is the church is compromising. We've compromised ourselves everywhere from the sanctity of marriage. The Bible tells us that marriage is between a man and a woman. And now we have churches and entire denominations that are splitting because of that. It's in the Bible. I can't change it. This isn't my words. I can't water it down. We must stand for the sanctity of marriage. We've compromised our values when it comes to abortion. And please hear me. You guys know I don't preach on these topics. This isn't what I do, but I've been convicted because the Lord has told me, Chad, you've been more concerned about people leaving your church than preaching what I've told you to preach, and you've compromised. And so we don't preach or teach on abortion. And please hear me. If you've had an abortion in this room, number one, there's no judgment, no condemnation. I love you. Literally, no judgment. There's no judgment or condemnation in this whole message. If you're convicted, it's because the Lord has convicted me, and I'm preaching with that same conviction. But we now have churches that stand and picket and fight for abortion. Listen to me. If you are fighting for abortion, I, I, I just want to tell you, I don't see how a child of God can stand and fight for that. And I get it, and we want to have loopholes. Well, what about if this happens to this person? Listen to me. Life is life, and Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. Who came to steal, kill, and destroy? We've compromised. 
We've compromised when it comes to sexuality. Hey, you just love who you love. No, that's not how God created you or designed you. And I'm not, I, listen, I'm not trying to get on a soapbox or anything. I'm just, I'm just convicted. And I think it's time, our teenagers are confused today because churches have been silent on issues that are important. And so we have teenagers that don't understand what's right and what's wrong. Church, the place we're gonna find out what's right and what's wrong is when we stand firm and we say, I will not back down, I will not retreat from what the gospel says. Stand firm. Is this okay that we're preaching this way today? Next week, I'll bring a comedian in and we can all laugh, right? <laughs> Everywhere you look, churches are conforming. Believers are conforming. We're conforming in our homes. We're conforming in our churches because we're afraid we're going to lose people. We're afraid we're going to lose an opportunity. We conform in our schools because we're afraid that somebody's going to make fun of us. We conform in our places of work because we're afraid we're going to lose an opportunity or a promotion. Listen to me. I'd rather get promoted in heaven than on earth. We're afraid that we're going to lose followers on social media. So we don't say, and listen to me, don't use social media to like blow people up. I, 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 I think there's more damage to that. I look at what some, I'm like, good grief. No wonder they don't want to serve the Lord because they watch Christians attack Christians. You don't just go look at Twitter and just watch Christians attack Christians. It is the most sickening thing. Number three of this message is we walk worthy of the gospel and we walk in unity. I'm not there yet, but listen to me. Churches need to be in unity. This isn't about one church. I think the, I think the reason the body of Christ is not advancing the gates of the kingdom of God and pushing back on the gates of hell is because we're not united. It's like we'd rather tear each other down than build each other up. But man, we want to stand firm. Stand firm. I just gave you number three. I'm not going to take time to preach on it. And number four is we stand, we walk worthy of the gospel by being confident in the face of our spiritual enemies. Let me just tell you as the worship team comes back to the stage, I'm, I'm done. There's a lot more in this that I really want to preach, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond to altars. This whole message boils down to the word only. Only. 